So, uh, I'm sharing because Chantel's dying uh, in a good way. So, we've got nine minutes. If, uh, if anyone involved in the last session would like to come sit up on the stage. In fact, anyone from any session could happily join us at the front. I myself will sit here for a minute. Or you could just stand there, Jordan. Uh, do we have any questions or comments for our eight and a half minutes? They could either be related to the recent session uh, or to the day as a whole. I might say here now. Can I add something? Of course. Yes, no, I, I wanted to say something at the end of the, the Vagina Museum session. Are they, you're still here? Yes. No, it's very interesting. Because you know the British Museum a while ago had a big exhibition of Japanese erotic print. And I knew a, there's a Greek scholar at Leeds called Alice Tinios who took part in that and has rather a large private collection of these. Now, the mythology of those is they were never used. They were purely... Ellis went through his collection and the British Museum and other collections and found stains on the pages. And he also found that on individual owners, historical owners' pages, there were preferred stains, i.e. some pages were more stained than others, which means that the books were used. Um, it's just from your point of view, the British Museum would not allow that to be said at all. The myth went out that these books were purely aesthetic objects of the Japanese imagery and no one used them. So this idea that not just a bit of litmus paper, but the most precious production of Japanese woodcut could be stained, had to be completely effaced. That's why I want to say it after your thing. Because when the FBI tested it, they found out it was Jordan Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> they may have found it was the Emperor of Japan's. One in the same. <laughs> Never seen him in the same room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think it's really interesting because I have seen this rhetoric a lot that if the erotic art is not used for masturbation, it's used purely aesthetically, it kind of legitimizes it. It's like, oh, it's okay to look at because you're not intended to wank when you look at it. It's just art, and therefore that makes it okay somehow. But if it was actually used for masturbation, then suddenly it's salacious and it's not art anymore. You know, I think it's an interesting divide. I might, yes. Oh. Do I have to? No, I don't have to switch it on. Thanks. Um, thank you for the day. I thought it was really, um, it's really great to actually be talking about this in a more um, open format. I'm a psychotherapist, um, uh, really um, concerned about addictions, which is all about shame. And what I wanted to say was something about shame and masturbation and trying to divorce ourselves from that, really. I, t I said to a friend of mine that I was coming to this conference, and he said, he's got nothing to do with therapy or psychoanalysis, he said, I've always been annoyed by the term wanker used as a pejorative term. Yes. He said, why is it an insult? He said, I'm a happy wanker. <laughs> <laughs> and I really quite like that, actually. And then I was thinking about sex in the city, just to bring it into the mainstream and not intellectualise. So many clients I see, women find it difficult to um, achieve orgasm through um, 
uh, heterosexual sex, etc., etc. Sex in the City had, I don't know if anyone remembers, they had a, a bit where the, the woman had a vibrator, rampant rabbit, was having a really good time with it. The sales of Rampant Rabbit went through the roof. There was a lot of liberation felt by women. However, the denouement of that was that she was urged by her friends several episodes down, I think, to put it in the drawer and go out with, you know, searching for, um, you know, an intimacy with another person. Now I was thinking that that was such a shame, really, that the rabbit couldn't have continued throughout her life to be used alone with other people, etc., etc. And the last thing, just quickly, is um, dealing with um, masturbation really does lend itself to addicts because, of course, you're divorcing yourself from reality, fantasy. There's a dopamine hit. Um, there's a fear of intimacy. So just like not everybody who drinks alcohol is an alcoholic, not everybody that masturbates is an addict. However, that can come across. And so in the Priory, where I worked for about seven years, there was a group of people. Um, uh, so you can come with any addiction. So people come with all sorts of things. And the one addiction that caused, put the cat among the pigeons when, was when we had somebody who was addicted to masturbation. And the other addicts said, I don't want to be in the group with this person because I find it offensive. And there was always the preface, like, I'm not like you. And I was thinking, we, in, in, it was so problematic because the treatment was actually increasing the shame. Um, the last thing I just want to say, just really quickly, is that, that I had a client who he used masturbation in order to increase his sexuality and, and, and freedom with his partner um, via the phone that we're not, we didn't talk about. So there's lots of phone sex. and you know. So he said to me, oh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to just um, send loads of pictures of myself jacking off to my um, boyfriend and just see what that's like. So we discussed it, and he's lots of shame around it. So I said, go for it. So anyway, off he went, <laughs> and then he came back and he said, it was a terrible mistake. I said, what happened? Didn't you like it? And he said, no, I sent it to my sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably who you really wanted to send it to in the first place. <laughs> I, think, I think we might need to finish, but I had just a little bit of um, British Museum trivia for you, which you probably both may know. But did you know that there used to be a kind of secret, a hidden locked vault in the in the British Museum called the Secretum, where they would keep... Um, loads of museums. Oh, yeah, loads of museums have uh, secret collections because, like, yeah, collecting, like, erotic stuff has been something that's been very popular for hundreds of years. But, of course, you know, you couldn't just put it on public display. And um, they would put them in the secret rooms. And if you wanted to see them, you had to apply to the curator and write them a letter and be like, it's purely for educational purposes. And I am an educated, rich white man. And therefore, I can be trusted with these objects. And, um, you know, there's one at Naples for all the sexy stuff they found at Pompeii. And there's loads of these secret collections. They're amazing. It becomes a really interesting archive of what's deemed, you know, not, not able to be viewed at a certain and, time. And it also ignores the fact that people can perfectly happily jack off over the Titian or over yeah. a Gainsborough. I mean, it depends what turns you on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is this... Is, is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, per personally, I wouldn't because Gains Gainsborough turns me off. I'm not, not a Gainsborough fan myself. No, no, I, I'm just saying that some people do, I'm sure. Definitely Titian. I'd like to
Yes, there's a question there, oh. a point there, a denunciation, something. Thank you very much for this afternoon. I just wanted to ask a joint question that Adrian's, your wonderful presentation touched on, also Michael, um, is about identity and masturbation. I was very intrigued with the wonderful um, image you had with the gods and the mortals and the uh, plethora. Is uh, the solitary pleasure a place where you can have more identities than you would otherwise have? Because we often have this idea of masturbation as one-to-one, but I'm very interested in the subject and the other and the way there seem to be an implication in in what you've been saying, that there are many, many identities in this act, and and maybe that's what's exciting to continue exploring. Yes. (laughs) Excuse me, Michael. Uh, <clears throat> well, I guess in, 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 in relation to you know, what I was suggesting, I was trying to go against the idea that there's a sort of, whoops, there's a, 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 you know, kind of on different sides a positive and a negative kind of uh, masturbation. That on, you know, on the one hand, it's in relation to pornography and, and objectifying, or on the other, it's productive. But I was trying to suggest that it's in a way, actually both at the same time, because it it allows your relation to something that is potentially uh, shattering of yourself as an identity in a yes. way, while at the same time it functions as a sort of defense in relation to the anxiety that that can bring about. So you know, that would raise the question, well, you know, if it makes you happy, what does that happiness mean? Does it mean that you're sustaining yourself, protecting yourself in some way by it, or, or you've got access to some sort of pleasure? It could be a combination of, of the two. So the sort of multiplication of identities would then be opened up by the relation to uh, this sort of more shattering dimension of sexuality that or traumatic dimension, which is why, you know, it becomes a, a thing for Freud that, you know, the, the trauma can be caused by the kind of self-relation rather than by someone else kind of necessarily interfering with the child, for example. It's the sexuality itself which is yeah. potentially overwhelming. Yeah, and I, I would say, I said yes rather, I wouldn't say identities, I would say that it's part of subjectifying processes. But in... A kind of mirror phasey way, those subjectifying processes are constantly occurring and dissolving again. So, in in that sense, exactly. In that sense, I agree with Michael. It, I wouldn't so much use as shattering as fainting away. That the identity emerges and faints at the point where it ach- achieves what appears to have been its objective. By shattering, I was implying maybe something more like a, a chandelier or something—a kind of multiplying. Possibility yes. in, in, in that uh, I, I was in think, that dissolving. Yes, no, I think of more fainting and then yeah. starting again. So it, it, it's an unfinishable process. And I don't see why we shouldn't think of masturbation as being at the heart of those processes of subject, which is why what you said to your client about put it out there. You know, it pointed his sister in on a lot of good actually. Let's face it, she hit the reel for a while. And on that note, I'm afraid we're going to have to bring it to a close. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you.